Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister says the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion remains a priority for a Liberal minority government. We made the decision to move forward on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion because it was in Canada's uh, interest to do so, because the environment and the economy need to go together. We will be continuing with the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Feelings of Western alienation continue to grow. These people who are very angry in Alberta and Saskatchewan, they're angry with the parts of the country that didn't vote for Mr. Scheer. And I don't, I don't see any kind of a realistic path towards a real Western separatist movement, but I have a feeling we're gonna be hearing about it for a while. And Stephen Harper counsels Conservatives to remain calm after Andrew Scheer's election loss. They made a compelling case for conservatism and for his leadership uh, and he made the point that Stephen Harper lost in 2004 and won in 2006 and then governed for a decade. It's Thursday, October 24th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. We heard the words listening and learning a lot from the Prime Minister yesterday in his first news conference since election night and um, and it was a bit of a different tone from the victory speech on Monday night. Uh, what did you take from what the Prime Minister had to say yesterday? Well, I think he's chastened that, uh, you know, large parts of the country have rejected his party. I mean, if you look at, if you look at a map of Canada, there's little dots of blue, uh, sorry, little dots of red around the big cities or in the big cities. And not much else. I mean, it is a, it's a, a pretty... Uh, uh, chastening, I think, is the right word that, that for the Liberal Party to uh, to have clung on to a minority when they were in such a strong position four years ago. Now, Justin Trudeau did say four years ago he was going to govern on behalf of all Canadians, and I, you know I think it's arguable that he did not do that. And again, he's saying I'm going to govern on behalf of all Canadians. Well, I think this time there has to be action to back up the fine words. And I have. I'm skeptical about it, to be honest. I mean, I think his worldview and the way he views governing Canada uh, almost precludes bringing in people in Western Canada and accommodating their interests. Yeah, I wonder about that as well, whether he is prepared to uh, engage uh, with Western Canadians in particular. Uh, We had yesterday on CPAC lots of phone calls from people in Alberta talking about the separatist movement and there were some very strong feelings expressed and we've seen activity on uh, Facebook pages to do with Western separation increase dramatically since Monday and this is in spite of the fact that the Prime Minister is saying he's still committed to proceeding with the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion even if that means that uh, the NDP won't support his agenda, right? Right, so I think Trans Mountain is happening. It's, there are shovels in the ground right now. Uh, I think the, the plan always was to, to build one pipeline and only one, and then create the conditions which meant there was not a, a whole lot of new investment in, uh, in the resource industry, particularly the oil industry, and then allow market forces to do their thing. Um, you know, they're aware that shale production in the U.S. is going through the roof, that pipelines are getting built in the U.S., and that eventually Canadian oil would get squeezed out. Now, I think that that plan is proceeding remarkably well. And, you know, the pipeline it w- is, not a, is not a lifeline. It's something that would, um, it, it would inc- uh, improve the price that Canadians get for their oil, but it's not going to transform the industry. 
And I think there's still a chill on investment created by C69, the, uh, the environmental assessment review, and the tanker ban on the West Coast. And this fits in with his plan. I mean, I, in the book that I wrote about him, I used this uh, uh, device that uh, Thomas Sowell, this US writer, had come up with, of the anointed and the benighted. And Justin Trudeau sees himself as part of the anointed, and those that don't agree with him are the benighted. And they're not only in error, they're in sin. And I think that because that worldview is so set, whatever he says in the press theater the day after or two, two days after a general election is not going to make a whit of difference. And I wonder how he will approach uh, getting the support of, of opposition parties, because uh, in, in one respect, he needs it. And in another, I know that there are people who feel that he doesn't because uh, he can he can kind of stare down the NDP and play a bit, bit of a game of chicken with them. They don't want another election. Uh, so uh, nobody's exactly going to bring down the government on a throne speech anytime soon. Uh, so does he have, especially with a with a strong versus a weak minority government, does he have more license here? Well, I think that, you, you know, you, you're right about the fact that nobody wants an election. I mean, Stephen Harper got elected by the minority in 2006. Everybody said it wouldn't last. You know, it lasted the typical life of a minority government, which was, in fact, that was more than two years, I think, the first one. And that's because there are various reasons that uh, that parties vote on measures. It's not always according to principle. Sometimes it's because their MPs want to get their pensions. I mean, there are going to be a lot of MPs that it'd be two more years before the their pensions vest. Uh, it's just, you know, being a six-year thing. So I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of enthusiasm to bring them down. And there are three parties that can prop up this government on any given issue. So I think, you know, for one thing, they can do a lot, an awful lot from a legislative point of view that, uh, for example, Trans Mountain, it does not require new legislation. So he does not need to go to the House to get its approval for that, even though he probably would because the Conservatives would support it. But I think that, you know, one way or another, he will get the support he needs to keep this government going for a reasonable amount of time. And what about Western alienation? Uh, how strong do you think that sentiment is? And uh, how much does it create risk for Justin Trudeau and his government? Well, I think it's a, it's a, a real and present danger right now. I mean, I think that the idea of, of, of alienation is very real. I don't think people in the West are crying wolf. I mean, my, my wife's Canadian, uh, Albertan, and, and her family are, are far from being uh, rednecks, and yet they're upset. Everybody in Alberta is upset, and they feel that they're, they have contributed to Confederation through equalization, and now they're being penalized. I think that's a very real feeling. Now, the, the expressions of separatism, I think, are a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I think once people start to sit down and think, Think about what separation would mean and the uncertainty and, you know, starting to muse about separation does not uh, increase the prospect of investment in the oil and gas industry, for example. So I think that that is still a fresh wound at the moment and, and people are talking about it. I'm not so sure that that will be sustainable, but uh, but Justin Trudeau, if he behaved in his second term the way he behaved in his first term, I think runs a very real risk of stoking that fire. Is there anything that he can do about it? Uh, there were questions yesterday about how he was going to form his cabinet without a representative from Alberta or Saskatchewan. Uh, are there ways around it for him? 
Well, I think they've got to be creative. I mean, they do need representation. I think that uh, um, maybe using appointing a senator is, a, is, is one way of doing it. You know, Ralph Goodwill is now is now looking for employment. Um, I don't know at the moment. I mean, I think taking another look at the uh, the environmental assessment would be one very real way of of uh, extending an olive branch. Uh, but I, I don't think that Trudeau can do that. I just don't think it's in him. All right, let's turn to the Conservatives and Andrew Scheer. There are questions being asked about the future of his leadership. Uh, He says he intends to stay on and fight in the next election and win. Uh, Stephen Harper, the former prime minister, according to a report in the Toronto Star, is urging Conservatives to stay calm and to take some time, be patient before making any big decisions about the future. Uh, What do you think about Andrew Scheer's chances of staying on as leader? Well, I think he's got a reasonable case to make, and he made it on in his uh, speech, in his concession speech, which was actually the best speech he made the whole campaign. Rather ironic, he said it until it was too late. But he did, he made a compelling case for conservatism and for his leadership. Uh, and he made the point that Stephen Harper lost in 2004 and won in 2006, and then re- governed for a decade. That's not a bad analogy if you're a conservative. You look at that and go, well, maybe. Um, my point having covered Harper at that time was that he learned from his defeat and I think Shear will have to display clear evidence that he's he's learned from his defeat Um, and the defeat really was in Ontario you know they only added three seats in Ontario an area where you know all the seats are where you if you're going to form a government you need to win seats in Ontario and he didn't win seats in Ontario because in my opinion uh, he's got too narrow a base. He, he campaigned for the base and did not try and adopt policies that would maybe not go down so well with the base, but might bring in new voters. And I think I'm thinking particularly of his environmental plan. I think he's got to display that he could broaden that base um, and display personally that perhaps that he's more open to maybe marching in a gay pride parade or doing things that are not that are outside his comfort zone but which people in Canada's largest province expect their Prime Minister to do. Great points, John. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Have a great day. Thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Yes, I am staying as leader of the party. Now, here's what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakabuski argues Andrew Scheer must go as Conservative leader. Yakabuski writes, Scheer delivered a consistently terrible performance. He was incapable of conceding that a woman's right to choose and the right of any citizen to marry the person of their choosing are non-negotiable. Anyone worthy of the job of Prime Minister in 2019 must support those rights and not just grudgingly tolerate them. The social conservative faction within the Conservative Party is not worth pandering to if it means alienating everyone else. In the conversation, Mark Winfield argues election night frustrations for the Greens highlight electoral system flaws. Winfield writes, The Greens' presence in the election was instrumental in keeping environmental issues at the forefront of the campaign. Some argue that is more important than seat counts. It may also be, under our current electoral system, the best the Greens can hope for. In an age where the regional divisions seem to be deepening, 
the need to move to a system that rewards support across the nation seems more urgent than ever. At National Newswatch, Glenn Pearson argues professional politics has become more of a permanent battlefield than a search for common ground. Pearson writes, There are heated opinions in every political party, and that is part of a healthy democracy, but not when such points of view lead to blatant prejudicial contests that cause observers to simply turn away in disillusionment. The targeted lies and innuendos utilized in this past campaign are a sign that Canada is dangerously close to journeying down the dystopian rabbit hole that other nations are now facing. At Policy Options, Paul Adams argues the media played a role in amplifying negative narratives during the election campaign. Adams writes, It would be wrong to say that the media alone were responsible for the negativity of this campaign. We witnessed a cycle, much of it beginning with the parties themselves, turbocharged by the media, spun through social media, then picked up again and amplified by politicians. There were signs of resistance, reporters and columnists who worked to bring us back to what mattered. But their efforts to save us from this dismal election were in vain. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. In Sydney, British Columbia, Green Party leader Elizabeth May will hold a news conference to announce her party's terms in the minority parliament. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, October 24th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.